You're listening to the Sewing and Grown podcast and radio show with Jay and Jay. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us on a Tuesday, because this podcast is airing on a Tuesday instead of a Monday. And we told you in our last podcast that we were going to have a special guest, and I actually kept saying that we were interviewing John Grunewald. That sounds really, really official. Um, I'd like to just think that we're, we're all just taking a stroll down Conversation Street. Over uh, um, <laughs> pumpkin cheesecake cups. Yes, we are sitting here in the upper room of the church having pumpkin cheesecake with one of our favorite people, John Grunewald, and we're really excited to have you on the podcast, sir. So welcome and thank you. Well, thank you guys. Great to be here, and the pumpkin cheesecake is pretty good. <laughs> we're off to a good start. I already finished mine. Yeah, he, he, you devoured yours. Um, I'm going to work on mine. <laughs> so how about you say something, because I'm going to take All a right, bite of cheesecake. All right, I will say this, that I, when I heard that we could have a conversation with you john i got really excited i didn't know you very well i met you and really got to know you on kilimanjaro we hiked kilimanjaro together and loved the conversations we had on our hike up kilimanjaro and i just know the listeners are going to enjoy this conversation as well so without further ado why don't you introduce yourself say a little bit about yourself okay thanks uh i'll just say this too kilimanjaro was great having you on there you i kind of called you the cheerleader of our group of 21 <laughs> and uh you you were the only one i think that could still talk while we were summiting i, I don't do much conversation going uphill mine is more downhill <laughs> so uh that was good and you know if if you know john p he was uh he was even trying to carry some of the uh, porter's loads once just to see what it was like wow and uh i thought well you got way more energy than i've got so which is probably might have something to do with your age you're compared to mine. Age. Could be. But yeah. we yeah. both talked about how, like, you're like a young spring chicken. Let, why don't you just say <laughs> what you just got done doing in Colorado, yeah, which I think is okay. more amazing than Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Well, it was harder. Uh, our oldest son uh, and I just hiked the majority of the Colorado Trail, which goes from Denver to Durango. We took out at Silverton wow. for weather and foot reason. We'll finish that little section next summer. So we hiked about 420 or 30 miles. Wow. Uh, backpacking, camping, and uh, it was it was a great experience. Um, would I do that one again? Probably not the same trail, but mm-hmm. we learned enough to help if I did another one. Learned a lot of great lessons on there, but it was uh, it was challenging. Probably some degrees more than I had expected, um, with the weight of the pack and the weather. That was, uh, they were pushing, the, the weather was pushing us to get in more miles faster than we would have wanted. And so it didn't turn out to be quite the relaxing hike, if you can call a 500 mile hike relaxing, but uh, <laughs> it was fun. We met a lot of great people and I would say that we'd never met another Christian on the trail, really? which, which surprised me a little wow. bit. But if you did the Appalachian Trail, you'd find a few more Christians. Probably. Just because of where it's at in the you country. You the uh, yeah. Mason-Dixon line, you're going to maybe find <laughs> well, a few more. There, I, I don't know if it's, this is only theory, I don't know if it's because a lot of the Christians aren't out there trying to figure out who they are. They hate life or whatever it is, and because a lot of these people had either quit their jobs or they went to contract work and they could do this in between. Um, a very nice group of people. I wouldn't say I fit perfectly, but they were a nice group of people. We enjoyed them. And uh, it was so, it, yeah, I say we learned a lot and it kind of gave me a little bit more of a heart for the community called Through Hikers. 
Okay. And so we'll see if we can do that someday. Well, there's a few people that I look up to in my life, especially when it comes to just how spiritually, mentally, and physically fit they are at the age that they are. One of them being our own pastor, Pastor Mark. Yeah, he is. If I can can be as lively as he is at that age, I'm going to be... I'm going to be great. I'm going to be set. And you're another example. You're always doing something. Uh, you're taking your health into your own hands. Yep. Um, but this isn't a podcast about that. Um, we yeah. want to talk to you more about uh, ministry and, yeah. and more spiritual things. So uh, we just talked a lot about hiking. How about you tell us a little bit more about what you do and yep. what you have done in the past yep. um, that's ministry related? Right. Um, the short version on the back part of what we've done is when Michelle and I met at Raymond Bible Training College, got married the next year, worked for different ministries for a while. I still sold real estate some for some years during that too. Um, then we uh, eventually went to pastor in Terre Haute, Indiana. And that was uh, not something that I had ever thought I would do as pastor, nor did I want to really. But it was... Uh, I sometimes say God tricked me into it because he kind of did. And, but it, was, it turned out to be the best experience of our life up to that time. And great group of people there in Terre Haute. And the church grew, and uh, we were happy with that. And, but something that we had had that God had planted in our heart years earlier was Europe, that one word. And so we went, uh, you know, that was always like, well, what does coming to Terre Haute, Indiana have to do with Europe? And... Uh, you know, when you look back, you can see the wisdom of God in it. At the time, you're like, "Did I, am I being punished for something? That's what we thought driving up there, you know. Terre Haute was a economically depressed town. Hadn't seen a can of paint in about 20 years, I don't think. And so it wasn't pretty, but the people were awesome. And, I mean, we just had a great church there. And So anyhow, when we'd been there four years or so was all and uh, had an opportunity to go to Europe to teach in some Bible schools. And because every year before that, when we thought about taking a trip, it was just like God was standing there shaking his head like, no, 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 don't need to do that. And this is, I mean, we're talking like nine years of that. And after a while, I think maybe I misheard this. So we didn't get the no that time and had to go ahead. So we ended up going to uh, Sweden, Estonia, and then we went to visit some friends in Germany. And on the way back over the North Atlantic, uh, we both knew we, were, we should move to Germany. And uh, we did that, started a Bible school there at the time. And so that was 1993, been a while. And uh, it's a big deal moving overseas. You know, if you do it with the military, they take care of everything. If you do it as a missionary, you take care of everything. <laughs> so we did that. And then eventually we moved from Heidelberg, Germany, to Bonn, Germany, and after about four and a half years, and that's when we started. Uh, we started a Rama Bible Church there and a Rama Bible Training Center because we don't use the word college in Germany. And so we we pastored that. We started that church, pastored it for twelve years before we turned it over to our associate there, who's German. And the Bible schools are still going. We probably got nine different campus locations there, and. As that grew, then we were asked if we would take over really the oversight of what Rama does in Europe. And there were some other people starting schools by that time in some of the different nations. So we gathered everybody together and some people took their schools and turned them into Rama's. And uh, so there was an assimilation process there for some and starting new ones. 
Uh, we don't do as much assimilation around the world anymore because we've kind of assimilated most anybody that was wanting to do that. Um, so now most of it is new plants. And uh, so then that, you know, Europe was going well. We were growing and uh, by not pastoring, you know, that was allowing me to travel a little bit more. And right about all that same time, then uh, Pastor Hagen asked if we would take uh, oversight with Africa and the Middle East too. We had, we, we had something going in Africa, but we had nothing going in the Middle East. And that we'll probably have a campus in the Middle East sometime next year. And we, there's, sometimes we don't say too much that goes on air about some of that stuff. Uh, it's heavily persecuted in that area. Yeah, and there's some countries we only call by numbers. We never refer to their names in anything public or written, really. Wow. So that's just safer for everybody. Yeah. So you're the director of Rama Europe, Rama Africa, and now Rama Middle East. Yes. How do you do it? <laughs> that's why we build teams. Okay. And we have great leaders in all these places. Uh, we meet. We all meet regularly. And, of course, that is, the last couple of years was more Zoom than face-to-face. But we, we have a director's meeting every year in Tulsa after Winter Bible. So last couple of days of February, first couple of days of March. And then we try and do continental meetings every year, too. In, and, of course, up till now, it's just been in Europe and Africa. The, we call the Middle East region MENA, Middle East North Africa, because North Africa is more closely tied culturally with the Middle East. So they just had a meeting. While I was hiking, Michelle, my wife, and our daughter Gabby actually traveled over there to be a part of that meeting. So, Very cool. yeah, it's great. And I am, I'm not an employee of Rama. I'm a unique position there. Yeah. The three of us that have the different sections of the world, you know, uh, Tad Gregorich, who's the dean of Rama USA, and then Joe Dunnick, who is over the mission school and missions and foreign translations. He has got Asia, Oceania, and Australia. But they both work there. I don't. So we have always worked with Rama as a partnership. Okay. Yeah. And it's worked great. We've been happy with it. I want to ask this question. There may be a big discrepancy from what the average churchgoer who goes to our church here in Glenwood Springs and listens to this podcast and your life. And I'll just use me as an example, because to some degree, I look at this and I go, man, that's hugely different. I just recently got married and this is challenging figuring out how mm-hmm. to lead myself and my wife in marriage. I'm over around 30 some youth students here at this church and young adults and help out in the maintenance team. And sometimes that feels weighty. I look at all the things that you have oversight of and you still like, aren't like blowing up or seem too stressed. (laughs) You got a smile on your face. What kind of wisdom would you share to somebody or me, just use me as an example (laughs) on what I can do to grow my influence because I feel like there's leadership in me. And I believe a lot of people, if not all people feel leadership because God's called them to leadership. How do they grow that? Yeah. Great question. And we, uh, you know, we grew into where we are today. Uh, And something I heard somebody say when I was much younger, it was actually, there was a whole group of ministers at a after meeting party and we were actually serving. And so you're walking around making sure everybody's got what they need. And, and I heard, I heard him, this guy say something that he said, he said, if God wanted me to run General Motors, he goes, I know I could grow into that position. 
And I thought, wow, that's an interesting way to look at it. And that stuck with me because I would, I would not say I am a natural leader. I am a natural team player, uh, but not a natural leader. And when, you know, you're right, when you get married and then you're going to start having kids, there's a whole lot more responsibility and, and leadership and responsibility certainly go together. And, you know, so I had to walk through that too. I mean, when I remember when, when our oldest son who's 35 now, when we were walking out of the hospital, I turned around to look and see if anybody was going to stop us. I know you're going <laughs> to let me. I know. Uh, it's like, are you seriously letting me walk out of here yeah. with a baby? We know nothing. That's how I felt. Yeah. And I mean, it scared me in a good way. Um, you know, so we, you have the responsibility comes, but anyhow, I, one of the things that John Maxwell said many years ago that I'd read, and he said that, you know, he, there's, he basically says there's four kinds of leaders and, you know, you can list 25 kinds of leaders, but he, he made them a little bigger categories. And he said, only one of them is really has a natural leader in there. The rest all, if they desired to grow and, and got in the right place to do it, that he said, anybody else could become a leader. And I put myself in the other three, not the natural. I know some natural leaders, and I, they astound me sometimes how good they are. Now, you can be a natural leader and be bad. We've seen plenty of that in history. And so for me, it put me on a course where I knew that I could grow. I could learn the, the skills of leadership. Um, you know, we have a whole thing in, in the Bible. You know, we can read through about, you know, spiritual leadership and there are many, many clues in there that I missed for years on how I could be a better leader. And so we had to dig all those out, got some help from some people. And it, I would say it was slow growth for me because I wanted to do it right. We worked with some people years ago who I didn't think were good leaders. And I didn't learn much what to do, but I learned a whole lot about what not to do. That's valuable. So yeah, it was a, it was just continuing to grow and put myself in the right place. I would say there was a seven, eight year period many years ago or where I spent a lot of time and a lot of money going to the right places where I could get what I needed. Now I think we can find resources a little bit easier. And one of the resources that we have is a website called the church building system.com. And it has, it's more how to like, how do you build a team and what are the skills of leadership and how do you lead a meeting? all those kind of things that we never learned anywhere and had to go do the hard way. And we found out what a great thing it was to learn how to actually run a meeting and have an agenda and how to do all that right and how it helped the organization and, and the people. So I'm going to let Jonathan take a question after this, but if I can ask one more question real quick, based yeah. off something let you said, bite, let him take a bite oh, of cheesecake, yeah. please. Take well, you talk while I bite. <laughs> Jonathan, how's your day going? <laughs> Hey, uh, it's good. I'm, 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 I have cheesecake as well. Okay. Um, well, they're both going to eat gonna cheesecake, and I'm going to try to fill the empty void while they're chewing. Mm. I'll start into my question, and then you'll be ready by the time I'm done. Because <laughs> I've noticed this. I would uh, say that I don't necessarily pick up on learning tasks as quickly as some other people, and it frustrates me very quickly. Pastor Jonathan across the table here can do about anything and learn it in a day and implement it, implement it great. 
But what I've learned about that is that I actually have a strength in the long run of training someone else because I've had to go through the steps on how to learn it and I can share those steps more effectively. I don't have that. Thank you for your humility here. I literally will go, someone goes, how'd you do that? I'm like, I I just, I just did it. I've gone to him sometimes like, what do I do here? He's like, you just do it. Yeah, that's bad. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But what I heard you say from the beginning was that your strength in what you're doing is by building teams. And you said you didn't see yourself as a natural leader, but you did see yourself as a team player. Did that ability to be a team player help you once you became a leader and you used those strengths from being a team player? Yeah. I don't know if I've ever thought about that, but yeah, you're probably right. It has. Um, uh, partially because, you know, I, I, I am a no drama person. I hate drama. Even when we were pastoring, if I heard a rumor, I addressed it from the front of the church. Well, so you like confrontation. I don't like confrontation, okay. but I don't like things festering. You just festering. hate drama that much. Yeah. It's the lesser evil out of the two. You're okay. willing to deal with conflict to make sure there's no drama. Yes. And that's not fun. I don't, nobody loves confrontation that I know. Uh, but we also learned how to confront in a better way. And, and with the church, I always use it as a teachable moment. And because sometimes rumors are ridiculous and sometimes they sound very serious. Right. And if if I knew that it was about somebody else, I would talk to that person before that Sunday service and say, hey, I'm, this is what I'm going to do this Sunday. I want you to know because of a rumor that's going around and I don't want you to be caught off guard. Good. And so and it worked. And, you know, we just cut out a lot of rumors. People weren't talking so much behind everybody else's back because they knew that if I heard it, I would say it. And that's the same way I am in our teams, that we have a no drama policy. We even wrote up a document years ago, and it's called the no drama because we, we just didn't want it. Now, it still tries to pop its head up, right? But the point of that is, is I like team harmony I, because the culture that you build will determine if you can ever fulfill the vision you have. That's good. Yeah, and it just, it won't, it won't work if you can't keep the culture right. And when I was younger, learning some of this, and, you know, the, the saying at the time was culture always trumps vision. And now you can't even use the word Trump when you're talking about, <laughs> uh, even though it was a card saying, but um, let's say it supersedes. Uh, but... Uh, I, I, I struggled with that. I couldn't figure out, well, what does that really mean? Well, then the longer we were doing things, the, the bigger that the organization was get, the more teams we had, we could see how that, that was true, that it was so important to build a culture because otherwise something was going to just kick the vision all the time. Right. Now, let me say this too, this, um, and this goes along with it. Some years ago, um, I was a little frustrated it just and I couldn't figure out why there was something underlying going on uh, just in the body of Christ maybe I should say that that I couldn't put my finger on but it irritated me and uh, you know so uh, it took me years to figure out what it was and you're going oh okay I see that now and it was you know I had a view of life and ministry that I think needed to be adjusted a little bit my view was God gave us a vision and he's calling people alongside to help fulfill it. That's not untrue. But the higher p- 
part of that is, is did he give us a vision and then have people come alongside to help do that? Or is my real job responsibility and vision to disciple people? And he gave us a vision as a vehicle to do that in. There's a difference there. And it switched our focus from being less concerned about the vision itself and more concerned about discipling people, turning them into, you know, from converts to disciples to leaders. I really enjoyed the statement you made last night on the distinction between a convert and a disciple. Will you share that again? I said converts go to heaven uh, or make it to heaven. How did I say that? Go to heaven and disciples take others to heaven. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it just it switched our focus. And that, that means that even in a lot of our team meetings, it switched the focus of the, the vision of like, well, we got to, you know, plant this many of these and this many of these to how did your team meeting go last week with your team? You know, and somebody say, well, yeah, somebody got a little upset and da, da, da. And I, well, what did you do? Well, I got a little upset too. I said, so what do you think you should do now? And well, I probably should apologize for my part of that and da, 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 and said, yeah, that's good. Then let me know how that went. So we, we spend more time on that kind of stuff now than, than maybe some of the other. And that hasn't slowed the work down? Um, maybe, but we keep people longer. And that's winning. <laughs> well, it is because... Uh, that's like that know, African proverb. I can't hear that. If you want to go somewhere fast, go alone. Yeah. But if you want to... far go with the group yeah something like that that's a paraphrase between the three j's here we have been (laughs) i think we've been pretty successful in keeping people long time uh and this and we're talking about a lot of volunteers here too it's not all a bunch of paid people around the world today rama has about seven thousand people that keep it going that's and about 1300 of those are paid and the rest are volunteer and, and that's, you know, with 295 campuses, 20,000 students in school every month now. And uh, so there's a lot of people working like that, but most of them are still volunteers. Wow. And it's, they're incredible people. So, I mean, some are self-supported. So maybe, I don't know if that's included in the 1,300, but. Well, I have a question. <clears throat> I'll take it in a little bit of a different direction. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't hear this part at the ladies conference. Um, so my wife was telling me what you were talking about um, when you taught there. For those of you who don't know, John Grunewald was the inaugural first male speaker at our women's conference. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we can thank your pastors for being brave to do that. <laughs> well, she said it was really good. And she made mention of one little part. And she said, as a parent, you have to be okay with letting your children step out and do what you feel they feel like God's calling them to do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a parent. <clears throat> my kids aren't of age where they're really going to decide where their life's going <laughs> to yeah. take them. But even now, they're three and one. I have a, a picture and a vision of what I really want. Yep. And maybe you can speak into that a little bit because you have three children who are grown. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all doing wonderful things, but all very different things. Yep. How do you reconcile or cope with the fact that what they're doing may or may not be in line with what you had in mind um, from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I didn't go into a lot of detail on that at, yeah. the, at the ladies' conference. So, I mean, what, what she told you was accurate. Um, it, um, 
you know, again, that was a growing process for us. And I don't know as if we had a lot of great mentorship in, in our days when our kids were younger to even help with some of that, you know, cause our parents were no help, you know? And, uh, so that, that wasn't good. And I had to look at sometimes at friends and see how they were doing with their kids just to kind of get that. But the idea being that if we are training them, raising them in the way they should be, uh, that they're learning how to follow God and that we're going to have to trust that as adults, even if they go a direction that not talking harmful or anything, right. but just a direction you don't think is right. Um, you, you know, I'm certainly not going to criticize them for it. Um, we'll talk. And I think our kids have been great about coming back to us and asking for advice where I never even knew I could do that when I was a kid, but our kids have done it. And we told them, um, you know, when, when you get old enough and you're moving out of the house, you're going to have to start functioning in your own faith. We can't cover you like we did. Um, your own authority. We can't do that for you either. We can stand with you, but we can't do it all for you anymore. Like could when you were under our roof and, uh, you know, so even, even if they made a mistake, you know, we're just going to, we might talk to them depending on the circumstances, but we're definitely going to pray for them. You know, that's one of the things that, you know, somebody said, maybe it was even Michelle, you know, that, you know, you got to hold them spiritually and you do that with your prayers and your words, never fear. Yeah. You know, that that's worthless, right? Fearing for your kids is hurting them more than helping them. Right. But God's plan for them may not include being with us the rest of their life. I would rather gather them all around and be a part of what we're doing because I want them around. Uh, our daughter lives eight hours, you know, south of Tulsa, um, but she's she and her husband Chris are involved in his parents' church. It's a great place for them. They're they're getting to minister and learn and everything in a really good environment. Um, and but oh, do I wish that they were with us? Yes, and you know that would be his parents' loss and our gain. But uh, <laughs> no, so it's uh, but we do trust them. There was one time. It's, this was some years ago now. I was flying to Norway, I think, and I was just on the plane and thinking, so and where is everybody today? And I realized that we that the three kids, Michelle and I, were all on five different continents that day. Wow. wow. It only happened one day. <laughs> and that was the day it was because I was thinking, well, let's see, Gabby's in, she's in South America or Central America. Um, and uh, Spencer was in Australia going to school. And Zach, where I know where he was, I don't know if that's when he was off in Mauritius for a little bit with a friend, you know, and then, yeah, so anyhow, (laughs) it was, uh, everybody was all over and and I was happy for him, wasn't concerned, you know, they're all becoming more of adult and finding their way in life and those are great experiences and so we trust that they'll find Mm -hmm. that. Well, like what you said earlier, you said that they were very comfortable coming and asking you for advice, which kind of supports what we talked about earlier about building teams because the family unit really is a team yeah. and you got to develop a culture of trust and communication. It sounds like you were able to develop that early on so they could ask you for that advice, yeah. even if maybe they knew you might disagree with a decision, mm-hmm. at least they could get some input yeah. um, from you guys. So I think that's really an uh, an important takeaway, understanding that your family is also a team that needs a healthy culture. Yeah, it is. And we worked hard at that because we felt like we were, 
behind just coming into marriage and having kids from not having the right kind of backgrounds with that. So we paid attention and we certainly made mistakes along the way. Um, but like I say, when the kids got older, then, you know, we said, Hey, we're not going to be able there to make, help you with every decision, but we will be available for any wisdom you want from us. And so you just have to, but sometimes you're going to have to be the one that initiates that now because we might not know. And so far they've done pretty good at that. I think, you know, where they have, and we, you know, the other thing is, I think this helps them all now as adults too. You know, either they're married, two out of the three are, uh, one has kids, one is is pregnant. So um, we'd love we'd love to have them all for Christmas too, but they have other families. <laughs> and yeah. so we said a couple that. of years ago when we were all together at Christmas, Michelle and I we were, we sat down with all of them and said, "Listen, we'd love to have Christmas and vacations and things with you guys every year." But we know you have families on the other side and you have to decide what you want to do about that or if you even want to go off by yourself. And we are okay with whatever you decide. There's zero pressure from Michelle and I on where you're going to be on holidays, on what year. And if you do two or three years in a row with somebody else, our feelings aren't going to be hurt. Um, So, you know, we just want you guys to feel comfortable in your life and you make the decisions on where you're going to be with that, not because we're guilting you into something. Yeah. So there's no pressure That's from really us good. there. Defining expectations. Well, yeah. I, I was just thinking that eliminates a lot of drama around the holiday season, and it's that proactive mm-hmm. going, you know, maybe if we're quiet, maybe they'll choose us. <laughs> you were proactive with it, dealt with uh-huh. a little bit of that confrontation, uh-huh. but that's why they feel comfortable to go back to you because you've already stated the grounds of where you're at. Yeah. You've given them that freedom. So. You're, you're the same in ministry, you're the same in family, and I see the success yeah. in both. Well, and that's one of the reasons that I think our kids have done well is, we, is who we were at home is who we were at church. And we had seen enough of the fake. And, yeah. you know, again, that to me is just, that's, ugh. So if, if we weren't, uh, we never said that up front that we were perfect when we were speaking in church or school or anywhere else. And, uh, you know, so our kids never had to like go like, well, who is that up there talking? I don't know. I don't know that person. Um, they didn't love that. They were a lot of our examples, but, <laughs> but that's the way that works. So no, it's, it's been, it's been good. And, you know, I have to say, you know, besides all the prayer and what we did know, our fingers were crossed too. You're just going, I hope we're doing this right. Because <laughs> sometimes you can't go back and fix it the way you want in yeah. people's lives. So, yeah, fortunately, things have been pretty good. I wanted to ask uh, another question before we begin to wrap it up. And it's really cool to me that you have such a bird's eye view of the church in a big portion of the world. If we look at mm-hmm. you living in the United States, seeing what's happening in America, uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and you said yesterday that it seems like the message that keeps coming up for you is building the church. Mm -hmm. So a question I wanted to ask, and you can take it any way you want to take it is, often we hear about the Western church, the American church. Is there anything that is similar throughout all of the church or a challenge that's similar throughout the whole church? Or are there a certain difference that we could learn from different parts in the world that we're not necessarily implementing here? Take it any way you want it, but if you could go that direction, that would be great. 
Yeah. I mean, I would say this. People are people, even though the cultures are different. You still have fear and faith and drama and, you know, whatever else you have in societies. They're everywhere. How those come out sometimes are a little different. My deal with that I mostly speak on some aspect of building the church, you know, started from when I was uh, a new Christian. And, you know, I somehow had this expectation that this God that everybody was telling me about was big and awesome and, you know, miraculous. And then I get into this first church and I'm thinking, well, I don't think any of these people think that or know that. And I would say they lived less of a victorious life than I had, almost as an unbeliever. And that bothered me. And, you know, then I have, like I said, I got kicked out of that church for raising my hands at, you know, up to about my chest level. And, uh, which, Rough first experience. Yeah, that was, that was a good thing that happened, though. It pushed me out of that little nest and, and put me into a little different world where I had to search a little bit more. And uh, So anyhow, it put me on a quest, I call it, that I wanted to understand how the church should function. And I didn't know exactly what that meant. But I saw a lack of leadership and a lack of, of real functionality. I thought the church to me was dysfunctional. And if there's anything on the planet that should function right, shouldn't it be the church? And so it, it took me about 30 years to find what I would say were more complete answers. And I had to get outside of, you know, even what I'd learned in Christianity to see it. And... That's where the whole thing about uh, leadership and teams and um, how, how we deal with confrontation, um, how we disciple people and mentor people, uh, that took me a long time to figure out. And so like I said, I knew more what not to do than I didn't know what to do. So it, it's, it's been fun. I've, I've enjoyed that part of It's always been something that's been kind of in the back of my head all through anything else we ever did. And that's where, then I work with a guy named David Scholling from the Netherlands. He and I are the ones that do the church building system together the most, uh, at least here in the beginning of it. You know, now we're finally, it took us, you know, because it was always background, it took us a long time to get a website and do videos and get some more of that up for, uh, to be available to people. And, you know, I'd like to see that grow in the future because where we the stuff we didn't know we now want to teach other people a lot of the practical skills of what it takes to really build the church because we for us we had um years ago you know we had plenty of vision and we're standing on our tiptoes and the water's rising and we're thinking what do we do to fulfill this i mean our life is packed full we don't have any more room and uh so you know, that's where we had to come to the understanding. I was trying to fix something spiritually that needed to be fixed structurally. And you, you, can't, you can't do one with the other. Ours was a structural problem, not a spiritual problem. We were committed. We prayed. We were dedicated. We studied. We did all that kind of stuff. But that wasn't fixing what we needed fixed. Building teams fixed. And that meant reorganizing. That means we actually had to have an organizational chart. So... We knew who was where and what and who was being discipled by who and 
all that kind of stuff. Where it was a communication chart, a discipleship chart, an organization chart, all in one. And that um, I, I used to have a stack like two inches thick on my desk of failed organizational charts because I didn't know how to build them. And then you know I finally got a little bit of clue about how to do that, and I could throw all that stuff away. And we learned how to actually build an organizational chart. And it was those kind of things that helped me. Um, we, we, and so, again, it's not you don't substitute one for the other. You add them together. And then you, you need can, a Marianne and Martha. Yes. Yep. <laughs> well, okay. And I'll say this, and, and, and I think this is a little bit of a scary thing. But in the body of Christ, we have produced a lot of spiritual ministers, but we have not produced a lot of spiritual leaders. Meaning people know how to pray, preach, prophesy, but they don't know how to build. And why is the average church in America 87 people? Is it because people aren't spiritual? Maybe. Maybe that's part of it, but it's more because we don't know how to structure what we're doing so that we can grow. Because you can, you can only be a primary caregiver to so many people. Look what Moses tried to do in Exodus 18. His father-in-law comes along and says, you know, it's good that you're teaching the statutes of God, or we would say the word today. He goes, but you're going to wear yourself out and the people too. Yeah. And because I always say, what if, you know, there's 2 million plus people. How many of them want to talk to him on any given day? <laughs> what if you're 257,000th yeah. in line? Right. What What's your chance? Yeah. So... Jethro says, you know, if you hear, if you, I'm going to tell you something, if you think it's wise and it's God, do it and organize into thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens and let them take care of the people. Yeah. You know, so it's been there for a long time. And then we see a smaller version of that in Acts 6, you know, with the uh, apostles or the disciples yeah. and the, the widows. So same concept, just a little smaller scale. So it was those kind of things that we finally dug out of Scripture and figured out, okay, what does that mean for us? And then how do we practically apply it? And so I spend a lot of time doing that today. Yep. Nice. So no, no matter where <clears throat> Western church, you know, or anywhere around the world, you really need to have the spiritual aspect and the structural aspect for it to really flourish. Yep. It's good. Um, well, I think we're at a point where we can maybe dive into the wisdom of the day unless you have something else. If there's anything burning yeah. in your heart, John, to share <laughs> before we get into the wisdom of the day, feel free to do it. Otherwise, we'll transition to the one takeaway we take from this yeah. conversation. I don't think I have anything <laughs> burning. Um, your watch is telling you it's time to stand. Yeah, don't you? It was. It was. I got a <laughs> I kick out of that. Today. You know, you you just get done hiking ten or twelve hours a day, and you're in the tent. And my watch says it's time to stand. It's like you don't know. Anything. I think we did that already. That's so uh, funny. I saw, it was kind of funny, I saw on some comedy thing a while back, there's a guy that, he's a comedian, and he's in a wheelchair, and his phone buzzes, and he goes, if my watch tells me it's time to stand one more time. <laughs> so no, I don't have anything burning. Um, uh, I'm glad you guys are doing this podcast. Um, I don't know how many listeners you have, but it's great practice for you guys. As long as Pastor lets you do it, it's awesome. Uh, I about think 80 give... people who download average of about 80 people per episode who download it that mm. week that's good though yeah it's a good start yeah total of like 4,000 downloads huh. we've got 65 episodes wow yeah Boy, it's, it's, you probably feel pretty comfortable doing it now getting there yeah yeah I love doing it I yeah. would like to improve my ability yeah. of doing it 
So uh, thank you for the encouragement. No, you, you guys did good. All you got to do is ask a few questions, you know, that right. dig out some stuff, and that, that takes care of it. That takes care yeah. of it. Yeah. So, no, I don't think I have anything burning. Well, I'm willing to jump into my wisdom of the day to give you a little bit more time as the guest to gather your thoughts. Pastor Jonathan, unless you'd like to go right now, I will go. I have one. Why don't you go? Yeah, I'll you, offered, you, you offered. I've offered. Now you take the ball. <laughs> All right. Um, I liked what you said earlier, and I might be misquoting you, but you said your culture will determine whether you accomplish the vision. Mm-hmm. And so many times we are so, we're like, cast the vision, cast the vision, cast the vision. Gr- true. Need to do that. Yep. But we're just breaking it down on a simple level. Your vision should be bigger than you. And it's going to take faith to accomplish that vision. So if you're not developing a culture of faith, you aren't mm-hmm. going to accomplish that vision. And breaking it down even more than what we're doing here at this church right now, Pastor Mark, is preaching heavily on the body and unity. Because it takes a body, you know, it takes everything working in, in unison to, to do something, the body to do something. Yeah. So we have a vision, but if he doesn't uh, teach on the importance or create a culture of unity... We'll never do that. So I liked what you said. Your culture determines whether you accomplish your vision. Yeah. I like something connected with that. I think you said it a little bit before, and it was the adjustment that you made concerning God's called me to a vision, and then he'll draw the people to help support it compared to the distinction you made with discipleship. Can -hmm. you say that again? What was that distinction, that adjustment you made? Yeah, the distinction is, 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 is my first and higher calling to disciple people or is it the vision? And I think it's, it, I think the higher priority is to disciple people. I mean, we know that from, I will build my church, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, mm-hmm. right? So he said that before he said, fulfill your vision. Because right. any vision that we have is just whatever slice of the pie that is really his vision. Right. right. And it all fits inside somehow of I will build my church. So, yeah, that's important. And it, it just I mean, it changed the way we functioned and I like it better, too. Well, I was thinking there's so many different things when you have a big vision and, you know, it's bigger than yourself and you get pulled so many different ways and wonder how it's all going to work. But I see and I'd be interested in your thoughts on it is that when you go my ultimate highest calling is to make disciples. That's seeking first the kingdom Mm -hmm. because that's what it's about is making disciples that maybe God's hand gets on some of the other things and helps figure out things you can't figure out. And it maybe aligns you with motivation too. going, I'm going to go back to the main thing, which is making disciples. Yeah. And what I learned was some of that. uh, I, and like I say, I think I'm a slow learner sometimes, but uh, I, I didn't have to do all the thinking. And I, I used to think that was my responsibility. And I quit doing that. I got the direction that we needed. And then I would say to the whatever team, now you guys come up with a recommendation on how we do this. Mm. And I didn't think about it until they came back with a recommendation. You know why? Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in them just like he did with me for direction. He'll tell them how. That's really good. I'm going to transition my wisdom of the day to what you just said there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's kind of I'm the tri- it, it's kind yours. of the triangle. If you have God on top, yeah. a leader over on the bottom, a team Follower, over there, right? Conversation all the way around. Yeah, you have yeah. to. And I think you know, Pastor Mark and I talked that about uh, about that the other day at lunch, and he he's integrated some things together well with that. So anyhow, yeah, it's uh, that works well when you define roles of 
appropriately yeah because a lot of people don't understand that the leader is really the visionary and mm-hmm. not necessarily always the doer yep um well we and, didn't recognize it as the leader for a year yeah. that was the problem and what i love about pastor mark is he will totally do it if he needs to do it but his mm-hmm. main function and what he's graced to do is cast vision and we come under him mm-hmm. to help him accomplish that but for years even just my own personal testimony, I didn't understand that fully. And I'd get kind of upset sometimes be like, well, yeah, you have an idea. And then you just say, do it. But that's his strength and his role. Yeah. And if I understand my role, there's a grace to yeah. help me fulfill that part. Absolutely. Just as much as there is his. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're right. You, we have to communicate. And that was, I don't know as if we ever get that down exactly the way we want, but we had, I used to, I guess, think that if I made a suggestion that people would get what was supposed to happen from that. <laughs> they didn't. And uh, I had to become much clearer in my communication. We do One of the teachings we do is the six main responsibilities of a leader and the six main responsibilities of a team. And with a leader, you know, the first thing is to clearly cast the, the vision of something and how, and how that has to be communicated very clearly and often. But uh, and if anybody's listening, they, want, they can go on our website, I think, and download those, actually, on the, on the church building system one, not the grunewald.org. But I think there's a link to both on at least grunewald.org. So, yeah. I'm going to look that up. Grunewald.org. So, Mr. Grunewald, are you ready with your wisdom of the day? Yeah, I don't know if I have any special wisdom for today, but I would say this. Whoever you are, wherever you are, keep growing. Grow into. Yeah, and okay, not everybody, I mean, there are some people, it's not that just they don't want to be a leader. They don't want to be a leader. Because years ago when we were, we had about 25 people that I would get together every month and we would go over all the aspects of leading and teams in the church and probably about six months in one of the guys in the back raised his hand he goes what if you don't want to be a leader <laughs> i was like what i, I said but you got a wife and kids you you're our leader you have to lead and he goes but i don't i don't want to lead a group of people in the church and he was very good at some stuff he did so we had to find a place to put him where he could still work but he was almost always working by himself which wasn't always helping train somebody else. Cause like what happens if he disappears? So, but he didn't want to be a leader, but let's say that most people do that are listening that even if you feel like you're horrible at doing it, like I did years ago, um, you can grow into it, but you're going to have to put the right resources in front of you and sometimes go somewhere. And, um, I mean, people would say to me, you know, well, you know, we'd like to spend more time with you. I said, well then work alongside us. I said, are you, what are you thinking? And they're like, well, you could come over to our house Sunday after church for lunch. And I said, <laughs> well, how often do you think I'd get to your house if I did that every week? Right. And that person goes, oh, I never thought of that. You want to go, well, think, because <laughs> that's not going to work. So just, you know, when Jesus, he was fulfilling a vision for sure, but he had, and, and disciples were coming alongside him, but he said, come follow me. And then they had to follow him if they were going to learn. If they were going to become a disciple, they had to stick closer. So sometimes just people is like, well, I really want to be a better leader. Well, then find a way to plug into where you, your, your church, like in this case, and learn. 
Will everything be smooth? No, probably not. But that that's a good reason not to leave. You have, if you're going to be a leader, you better learn to check your attitude before you get there. So that's why we all the stuff we do along the way. So keep growing. Awesome. Keep going. I really enjoyed that yeah. conversation, and I know as a listener, you did as well. And as is our practice, would you be willing to pray us out of this podcast? I would. You, you just mean today, not like forever. Do not put the end cap as if there will <laughs> never be another episode. episode. Yeah, You're a man of great authority. We no. don't want you declaring that over no. there. He just says, and thank you for this this time. They did they did a great work to thank you for the next season of their life. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Trust this podcast. Thank you for that clarity. Yeah. And con- yeah. No, communication. Good. Yeah. All right. Let's do that then. Father, we want to thank you right now for, I thank you for Jonathan and John. Thank you, everybody who ever listens to these podcasts and thank you for, Father, working in them and bringing clarity to their purpose, their destiny in life, and show them how and where in the importance of really plugging into their local church is. And I know a lot of people that are probably listening to this are very involved already. And, Father, we're thankful for that, and we ask you to bless them because of that. And, Lord, that each person listening would maybe even see to a greater degree your will for them where discipleship is concerned. They may not feel like they have the time or they're, they're adequate to even be teaching somebody else, but they are. They have something to share, something to give that they could help bring somebody along, invite somebody into their life, invite somebody into their team, because we know that people aren't just always going to do it on their own, so they have to be invited in. And so, Father, we thank you for that, that as you build this local church here and in this valley, this canyon, this stretch of the earth that you have here, that it's going to do even greater things. The light's going to shine brighter than it ever has before. More lives are going to be touched. More people are going to be saved. And this community will even recognize this church greater than they have before because of what you're doing through it. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for listening to the rebroadcast yesterday and then our special guests today. We loved having you again, Mr. Grunwald. I'm going to let you finish your pumpkin cheesecake. With that being said, we'll thank ca- you. <laughs> we'll catch you next time on the Sewing and Growing Podcast.